Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I'm so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad that you've joined, and I hope that your day is going well. So last week, we started talking about looking back at this year and evaluating your progress, the things that you intended to do and the things that you accomplished. And then instead of just letting the rest of the year play out and expecting a better 2023, I want you to use these last six or eight weeks to evaluate the kinds of changes that are good for you and your family and to actually determine and lay out some plans so that you can start next year already moving in the right direction with a ton of optimism. And I hope that the reverse bucket list has got you moving in the right direction, and the plan is to come in next week and build on that. I'm reading this tremendous book called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And the truth is, we do want to build out better, but we have to be careful and keep it balanced because we can run the risk of pursuing more in a way that stretches ourselves too thin, adds incredible stress, and just makes us crazy busy and totally ineffective. He has got some tremendous faith-based advice on that, and we'll talk about it soon. But there's just something else that I need to share with you first. Because every once in a while, something doctrinal, Something related to our common faith just seeds itself in my heart and starts growing, and my first impulse is to preach about it, which I did, but when it stays implanted and keeps growing after that, I know I need to share it with you. We've done this with grace a couple of times recently, and today I want to talk to you about baptism. I feel like it coordinates well with the Excel Still More concept and maybe even planning for next year. Because your ultimate purpose is to be a vessel for the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, pouring out His attributes and His truth into the lives of everyone that you meet. And that means the ability to share a very simple and powerful message concerning what the Bible teaches about baptism. Somewhat surprisingly, baptism has become an increasingly controversial topic, and not just among our religious friends, I mean even in our own fellowship. And as the title indicates, I think one of the reasons for that is all of the adjectives that we put before the word baptism that simply distract from what the Bible so beautifully illustrates. For instance, someone says, Chris, I want you to preach on denominational baptism. Tell everyone how wrong it is. Well, look, the adjective you put before baptism is not only not found in scripture, but it's pretty much impossible to define. There are hundreds of denominational churches, plus non-denominational churches, New Age churches, charismatic, grace, fellowship, Christian, and every other ilk. Many of them teach differing concepts from one another on baptism, and some the exact concepts you believe. To choose one adjective and just heap them all together under one heading is irresponsible and inaccurate. So maybe somebody comes back and says, all right, how about this? Tell everyone about Church of Christ baptism. To which I might ask, what in the world are you talking about? 
Are you talking about a certain kind of and purpose for baptism that is unique among local churches of Christ, that is identified in all locations that have that sign out front, that somehow is ours and is unique to us? Because that sounds somewhat denominational to me. And do you assume that people around the world with Scripture cannot open it and read it and obey it unless they are somehow associated with a church that has a certain sign? Maybe somebody comes back and says, okay, Chris, what I really mean is, tell us the difference between an unapproved baptism and an approved baptism. To me, that's just a couple more adjectives that aren't found in Scripture that we use to try to label people. Though I think my big question would be, acceptable to who? Are we talking about baptisms that are acceptable to you, or to a church, or an eldership, or a family? One of the things that is very clear about baptism in the New Testament is that it is between an individual and God. An individual is drawn to the gospel and obeys the gospel, and God adds them to the church. The only approval that is significant in that equation is from the Lord, and that approval is found in the gospel. So again, I'm a little weary of terms we toss in that distract from the simplicity of that gospel. And so if there is an adjective that you want to put before that word, let's go with what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. How about the one baptism? That is not associated with any denomination. It's not associated with any sign out in the front of a building. It is not subject to the approval of some council or group. It is the one beautiful baptism of the New Testament in order to be a part of Christ's church. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Let's drop all of the angles, adjectives, and attitudes and just let the word unite us in the truth. Now, a quick caveat on this, there are at least three baptisms in the New Testament, one of which is the baptism that John the Baptist performed in water, but that was before the Lord's church was established and simply prepared people to know how to enter into it. The second one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles on Pentecost, enabling them to do supernatural things to confirm the message. While that was not promised to you and to me, it did empower them with the ability to preach the one baptism of the church. It is that baptism that has drawn our attention today. I want to share this with you, but please understand, my ultimate argument today is that if an individual obeys the gospel in baptism and is added by God to the body of the saved, no outside influence, person, church or organization has the right to take that away from them. It does not have to be validated by them. It does not have to happen in a certain building or at the hands of a certain preacher. Now, as I will share at the end, the preacher or church may certainly be a factor in what that person believed when they were baptized. But those people do not answer for that person. That person answers to Jesus for the gospel. So, what is the gospel message of the one baptism? Here are a few things that we find very clearly in Scripture. The one baptism is full immersion in water. The word baptized means to be immersed. John baptized in a certain place because there was much water there. In Acts chapter 8, Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. It is simply not sprinkling or pouring anywhere in the Scripture. Instead, it is pictured as a full burial. 
The one baptism is also to follow and obey Jesus. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It was right, and he obeyed God, and he did it. Then Jesus taught in Mark 16 that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He instructed his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The one baptism is in order to emulate and obey Jesus. It is also for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts chapter 2, on the first day of the Lord's church, they repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. In Acts chapter 22, Saul of Tarsus was baptized by Ananias to wash away his sins. It doesn't matter what adjective you use or what church you're associated with. Baptism was not something that was done after your sins were washed away. It was God's will in order to have them washed away. And by the way, that doesn't mean you're working or earning anything. Have you ever seen a baptism? You don't do anything. You stand there and someone else puts you under the water and brings you back up. Baptism is not an achievement. It's a submission. I will list all six of these things in the show notes with verses, but we should also add that the one baptism is uniting with Christ's power in the burial. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 teach that when you are baptized, you unite with the power of the death of Jesus, the power of his blood to cleanse you. And as he emerged from the grave to a new life, you emerge from the water to a new life in his likeness. Jesus could not emerge to a new life until after he was buried, and the same is true for you. Again, not that you or the water are impressive, but only in the fact that God taught that it is in that place, in the likeness of Jesus, where you have access to his saving power. Also, the one baptism is necessary in order for God to add you to the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, 3, thousand people were baptized. And verse 47 says, God was adding them to the church, those who were being saved. It is very important for you to know that baptism is not something you do after you've been added to the church, but it is also not something that you do in order to be approved by some local church. I think even among our own fellowships, there's been this attitude sometimes like, "Uh, not sure about your baptism. Why don't you go ahead and do it here in order to be safe? No one should ever be baptized if they believe their sins have been washed away, but some church wants them to do the safe thing. To me, that would be a local church placing itself where it does not belong, in between an individual who has obeyed the truth and the God who added them. And then I would say that the one baptism is the beginning of a new walk in faith. After the 3,000 were baptized in the book of Acts, they started learning and growing and spending time together. They were not perfect. They had a lot of issues to work through. They failed along the way. Churches were in jeopardy of having their lampstands removed unless they repented. Simon got easily distracted and even fell away from the Lord. But they were not told to be baptized every time they made a change or learned something new. You are baptized in the one baptism. And after that, you do your best to learn and to grow. Some have argued that if someone is in fact baptized for all of the New Testament reasons, but they worship at a church for the next five years that does things that we believe are wrong, then their baptism wasn't truly of the scripture. Be very careful with that attitude. That person read the scripture and obeyed the gospel, and then they did the best that they could. And when they learned better, they did better. You know, just like you. And by the way, it can start sounding like our local church 
hasn't ever had any problems, and we've always done it right, and we've never needed to change. That's not true. The first century Christians needed God's grace and mercy, and so do we. So I've listed to you some very basic things. The one baptism is immersion in water, to obey Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to find the power of Christ, in order to be added to the church as you start your new walk in him. There are some, even among our number, who say you must know much more than that. They might cite Acts chapter 2, verse 40, that said that Peter encouraged them with many other words before they were baptized. People argue all kinds of things they say that Peter said there. Usually, conveniently, those things fit the issues that mean the most to that person or church. But the truth of the New Testament is, they knew that Jesus could save them, and they submitted their lives to him. Chances are, Peter just taught them more about Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch on the road simply knew that Jesus could save him through baptism. The same with the Philippian jailer and many, many others. If we are saying that because someone doesn't know this or that about the church or organization or whatever, that their baptism is somehow invalid or not good enough for us, we are putting our views where they do not belong. Now, someone will say, what is Chris saying? Is he saying we should just accept any baptism, any time from anyone, regardless of circumstances or influences or history? Well, let me tell you this. If that person has obeyed God in the one baptism, then they have, in fact, at least initially, been admitted into the body of the saved. But it is certainly true that outside influences are factors that need to be considered. For instance, someone says, what about the baptizer? Does it matter who baptized that person? Well, it may if the baptizer influenced the person to believe something that wasn't true. But the faith and beliefs of the baptizer do not validate or invalidate the decision that an individual is making. I mean, what if the person who baptized you was a hypocrite who was lost in their sins? Or they have some hinky idea about the Holy Spirit. Do their beliefs reflect your decision? It's certainly possible, but not absolutely true. I heard a story told a few times by a gospel preacher whom I respect greatly. He said his father had a pastor friend at a local denomination who did not believe that baptism was necessary to be saved. And the pastor wanted to baptize the man, but the man said, no, but if I ever am baptized, you'll be the one to do it. So sometime later, this man learned the truth of the one baptism and was about to be baptized when he called that pastor to come over and do it, just like he said that he would. That pastor did not believe that it was necessary, but the man who was baptized did. In that case, it was not a factor at all. Now, you might wonder in these last few minutes, and I think I'll probably go over just a little bit today, how do you know? How do you know if someone was influenced by the baptizer? Well, you certainly don't assume things. Instead, you open up the scripture and you study the truth with them. And if they look up from scripture and look you in the eye and say, that's exactly what I did, then it sounds like you were looking at a brother. Now, someone comes back and says, well, what about the teacher? Maybe they attended a church where the teacher there taught error on how to become a Christian. Someone in the church years ago said, you cannot be taught wrong and baptized right. But there is a much better way of expressing that. You cannot believe wrong and be baptized right. Because it's ultimately up to the beliefs and convictions of the person who is being baptized. Now, to be clear, the teacher is a factor. If someone comes to the Lindell Church and says, I was baptized for the remission of sins, but I know very well that their pastor or 
teacher for years does not teach that, we would and have in times past engaged in lengthy Bible discussion and study. The gospel message book that we use when we get to lesson two on conversion, we have them tell their entire salvation story before we study the scriptures together. And oftentimes that bears out that they have not yet followed the one truth. But sometimes they say, look, yeah, I went to that church, but I didn't follow the teachings of that guy. I went and read the scriptures and I obeyed what the Bible says. There has to come this point where they see and believe that they have obeyed the gospel and we believe them. I use the example in the sermon of my parents. My mom and dad worship with us. And if they moved to another state and started worshiping there and someone said, are you from Lindale where Chris Emerson preaches? And they say, yes. And they say, look, we don't know if you can be a member here because Chris teaches some things that we don't agree with and you were at Chris's church. My mom would be like, listen up. He's my son and he preaches there. When he preaches things that I agree with in my own personal study, I'm with him. But when he preaches things that I disagree with, and he sometimes does, I follow the teachings of Scripture, not my son. Teachers are factors, but they are not the determinant. The determinant, again, is if an individual has answered the truthful call of the gospel and been rewarded by God. The same points would apply if they came from a church that teaches some things about salvation you disagree with. You'd need to find out, were they answering the call and teachings of that church or the call and teachings of the gospel? Look, if they've not obeyed the truth, then they must. But sometimes I think we forget that local churches are not the gatekeepers for baptism and salvation. Baptism is an individual decision, and then you join the local church after. To be clear, I'm not dismissing the fact that they may have been taught wrong and believed wrong but I am dismissing the tendency to label people's backgrounds and determine the truth for them and in spite of what they profess. So how does that work out at the Lindale Church? Someone comes here and says, I'd love to join your local church. We start studying the Bible with them. We ask about their baptism, and yes, we'd like to know where they were and what they were taught. All of those are factors, and we do try to get their salvation story before we study the one baptism with them. But that's the adjective that matters, the one baptism. We try not to pass some judgment based on denominational baptisms and Church of Christ baptisms and what we perceive to be approved or unapproved. God is their judge. His approval is relevant, and that happens on an individual level. Maybe if we taught this more clearly, we could show the world that we're trying to unify in the teachings of the Word of God not unify them under our baptism or tie its validation to the name on a sign in front of the building. In the end, we study and we study and we study and we ask the questions, have you obeyed the one gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been immersed in water to follow and obey him in order to have your sins forgiven, to find his power and to be added by God to the church as the beginning of your new walk? The only thing that matters is if they understood the truth and obeyed it. If we could unhook from all sectarian and semi-denominational wagons, we could come to believe people and believe in people and unite together in the one truth and in the one church. I know I've gone over some today, which is super rare, but this is what happens when I start preaching. But let me finish with this. Do you know anything about my baptism? Do you know how young I was when I was baptized or what I knew at the time? 
Do you know the church building I was in or some of the things that they did in that church building that may be a little bit different than where you worship? Chances are you don't know any of those things, and yet you're assuming that I'm a Christian. You trust that because I proclaim the truth now that the truth is what I obeyed, and I really believe that I did. I don't know why you're so trusting. I mean, I'm probably influencing your children. Shouldn't you do some investigation? Shouldn't you kind of get in the middle of that and pass some judgment on it? You don't, and you won't, because I profess the truth of the word and that I have obeyed it. Would to God that we could have a heart like that for everyone. If you've been in our fellowship long, you know that we sometimes are bad at extremes. It's either a Church of Christ baptism or a denominational baptism, just more adjectives that help us label. But what if we stopped using those terms and being distracted by those concepts, and we just found our unity in the timeless beauty of the Word? Then maybe we could change our episode title, get rid of the broad word adjective, and just find our joy and find one another in the one baptism. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.